Bom bom bits, a bowl full of chips. Bom bom bits, with Chappy and Pip. Bom bom bits, two young brothers. Bom bom bits, talking college football. Bom bom bits, and life and humor. And some funny ass clips. So relax and unwind with a bowl full of chips. on a bowl full of chips and it is the last division of the power five 2019 preview we're looking at the pac 12 and today we're looking at the pac 12 north so just a quick recap for those who maybe have forgotten or if you didn't get a chance to listen to our pac 12 south rundown uh, i have usc utah ucla arizona state arizona and colorado in that order bip you want to give the listeners your pac 12 south order again in case yep. they're just for the first time yeah i have you uh utah coming out in the south followed by arizona state usc arizona ucla and rounded out by colorado all right so in my world i see the usc trojans playing in the pac-12 championship against the washington huskies from the north now i know Mm. that oregon is a very very chic pick coming out of that side but I'm going to go with Chris Peterson and his UW Huskies to finish 11 and 1, 9 and 1, or I'm sorry, yeah, 8 and 1 in Pac 12 play in the regular season. So let's break down why it's going to turn out that way. Well, first of all, it's the Chris, Chris Peterson factor. One of the better coaches in the game today, especially since Urban Meyer is this season not going to be on the sidelines, just so good at getting the most out of his talent. So offensively, they were 22nd in third down conversions a year ago. So when when it's money time and when they need to keep the, the things going, even with Jake Browning last year, they did a pretty good job of extending drives. Um, they were upper middle in most offensive categories, except for scoring, which they were 88th. But, you know, say what you will about Jake Browning, but, you know, the 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 offensive production that they had last year was – primarily because of a good running back, which Gaskin is gone, and a very, very good offensive line. And I think that that offensive line is going to be the relative strength in offense. They were 37th in sacks allowed, 64th in tackles for loss allowed. I don't think there's much of a drop-off between Gaskin and Salvin Ahmed. Now, I know Gaskin rewrote the record books for running uh, for a UW Husky, but Ahmed is faster. Um, you know, he, he only goes at 5'11", 195, but he kind of reminds me of a Napoleon Kaufman type back, and that's going way back into the 90s. But <laughs> somebody who can give you a burst and, um, you know, is, is going to be a little bit more lightning, which I think this offense could use because complimenting him at quarterback is going to be big Jacob Eason, who stands 6'6", 227. He's a Washington native, went out to Georgia, started as a true freshman, got hurt, and then some kid named Fromm came in and seemed to do a slightly better job than him and gave Eason a reason to kind of go back to his home state. 
He was on campus. He was practicing all last year, taking a redshirt year due to the transfer rule. So this is really his second year in the program and in the system. And I think that that's going to pay dividends. Um, you know, you look at who he's got to throw to. Hunter Bryant is an All-American type tight end. Aaron Fuller, Ty Jones is top two targets on the outside at wide receiver. But there's also Andre Bacella, who is actually their second leading receiver. Um, you know, Kate Otten is a is a serviceable tight end, more of a blocking guy, but can certainly leak out. Uh, and in Chris Peterson style offenses, what do you need? You need a good offensive line. You need a running back with some pretty good vision and quickness. And you need a couple good tight ends and serviceable by wide receivers. Check mark all those boxes. And as long as Jacob Eason can be a smart, heady quarterback, which it sounds and seems like he is, he was one of the, I mean, he was a top five quarterback prospect coming out in his class. Now, defensively, they lost almost everybody on defense. Only 34% of production returns. That was the least in college football. No other team lost more defensively than the Huskies did. So why do I have them winning the North? Jimmy Lake, their defensive coordinator, he is a good coordinator, and he specializes in the secondary, which is really where the, the Huskies got hit the hardest. I, I think that they you know bring in that secondary talent. Uh, they, they've cultivated it. They, they, typically what they do at UW is they'll bring in top recruits. They'll redshirt them. They'll get them used to seeing the guys in front of them play. And so players this year like Kyler Gordon, Keith Taylor, uh, Elijah Molden, they've been in the system for at least a year, a couple of years. I see them stepping in and, and playing under the tutelage of Jimmy Lake and having guys like Benning Potayal and, and I know I butchered that name, um, <laughs> Kyler Manu playing in front of him at linebacker. Brandon Wellington was, um, you know, coming on toward the, the later part of the season last year. They were top 26 in many relevant defensive categories, except for pass rush. They were only 101st in sacks. Uh, created. I just, I see Jimmy Lake as, as being the guy that's it's going to be the difference maker. And I think offensively, they're going to put up more points than, than they have in the past. And I think that's going to help them here. Why do I have them ahead of Oregon? Cause that's, you know, really the elephant in the room. That's a question that everybody listening is probably wondering. And honestly, Bip, it's because they get the ducks in Seattle this year. Um, they, uh, um, I'm sorry, I'm looking at their schedule here, stuttering <laughs> over my words. Uh, yeah, I have them starting out of the gate, winning all the games. Do you know who their only loss is going to be to this year, according to yours truly? Um, I'm I'm really stumped because you're not really high on Utah. You have them beating Oregon. Um, I'm going to say you're going to go with Stanford. No. Nope. Okay. It's, it's going to come on a Friday night in Corvallis, Oregon against the Beavers at Reeser Stadium, six days off of beating a, a, a good Utah team and getting a very important, very tough, hard-fought win at Husky Stadium against the Utah Utes and probably being ranked in the top 10, maybe even top five. And then they've got to come back and go to Corvallis, Oregon and play against a tough Beaver team Um on just, you know, really five days rest because that day before is, is your walkthrough. I see that as a stumbling block for the Huskies, but I, I do see them beating USC at home. I see them winning at Stanford close. I have them beating Oregon at home before a bye week. I have them winning against Utah at home after the bye and then stumbling against Oregon State, but still being good enough to finish off wins at Colorado and at home in the Apple Cup where they just have dominated the Washington State Cougars 
in recent years. So I have him going 11 and one regular season, eight and one in the Pac-12. That finishing top in the North. Okay. So yeah. Tell me why I'm right or why I'm wrong. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you that you are wrong. And okay. I'll Good. go into my number one team in just a moment. But two big transitions happen on the offense, as you touched upon. They lose longtime starters, Jake Browning and Miles Gaskin. And losing Jake Browning could be a sigh of relief for Husky fans, as Eason could be an upgrade to what Browning was the past two years. Eason has the talent and was the top pro-style uh, pro quarterback in his recruiting class uh, three years ago. Like you mentioned, he didn't just transfer for the sake of transferring. He lost out to Jake Fromm, uh, which in my book is about as good a reason to transfer as any. Uh, he's a tall quarterback with a big arm, and he's got the luxury of throwing to a great receiving group this year that returns his top three from last year. Aaron Fuller and Ty Jones each average more than 15 yards per catch and combined for 10 touchdowns. Andre Baselia caught 55 passes, and the three make up one of the best receiver groups in the, conf in the conference. And you touched upon it a little bit. Hunter Bryant, their tight end, could be their most dynamic receiving option as their tight end. Last year before he got hurt, he averaged 21.6 yards per catch on 11 on 11 uh, grabs. So getting him back should be a, a huge shot in the arm for that offense. I'm with you. I think that Ahmed is is lightning and which was at, uh, seen as he averaged 5.8 yards per carry um, and had seven touchdowns last year in a backup role. I think uh, it's going to be tough to replace everything that Gaskin brought to the table, but I think Ahmed comes at least close to doing so, and he's going to be helped out by the O-line returning four starters. And while they lose Caleb McGarry, um, they get Trey Adams back, who missed most of the 2018 season with injury. So I think this offense is going to be a lot better than what people think, because when you think about Washington teams, they don't normally, you know, obviously that defense is so good, but that, that offense is kind of, middle of the middle of the pack um not one that you think will lead the conference in scoring or yardage but i think that this washington offense this year could challenge for both yardage and um scoring overall so i, I really like that offense a lot my main concern is that defense as they lose so much only returning two starters now Chris Peterson and that defensive staff, Jimmy Lake, as you mentioned, they always have their guys ready to go. And I know that this defense isn't going to slump to, say, 50, 60, 70th in the country, um, but it, it is a lot to to replace. And I'm not so concerned about that secondary because they seem to be a defensive back uh, machine and factory. And their secondary should be one of the best in the big in the Pac-12 once again. They return Miles um, Bryant, uh, who is the only player that returns that finished within the top seven uh, tacklers from this team last year. But he also added six passes broken up last year and should be one of the better safeties in the conference. I like that trio of corners that they have coming in. Keith Taylor, Elijah Molden, Kyler Gordon all look like they could be the next in the long line of successful corners at Washington. And there's considerable buzz surrounding Gordon and his ability and his athleticism. So keep an eye out on him. He may not even start to begin the year, but he's definitely going to be inserted in the lineup early and often linebackers should be their weakness um, as they break in all new starters and all are largely untested. And on the defensive line, I'm going to try to pronounce this name as well, Chappie, but Benning, uh, uh, Potoa, eh? um, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, right. he, he's, he's returning, um, and had three and a half sacks, um, last year, I believe. So he, he will be, uh, leading that defensive line 
which should and be he's uh, nasty too. I mean, watching him play last year as as tough as it's to say that Samoan last name, it's easy to recognize that number eight is just a, a beast on that defensive line. Right. So the D could take a step back, but the offense should take a step forward for Washington. So how extreme each is going to be will determine the success of the Huskies this year. They get Oregon, Utah, and Washington State all at home, which should help with their win-loss record. I think they challenge for the Pac-12 North title, but they fall just shy. I have their losses um, at or in the second game of the year against Cal. I think that secondary challenges Jacob Eason uh, to the point to where if Cal can get a few turnovers, because I know their offense isn't going to be the reason that they win that game, but if they get a few turnovers in um, opposing territory, I think that they could swing that that thing. And uh, Washington... Calling a Cal upset in week two in Husky Stadium? I have it marked down, Chappie. And okay. dude, you you need to take that to Vegas because you are not <laughs> going to get anybody to oppose you. You're right. Say, yeah, I'll, I'll give you higher odds. And if you come out on that, man, um, take a vacation, uh, brother, because that's that's going to be tough. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, it, it's mainly mainly because it is in week two. And I think that 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 vaunted Cal secondary could give them some fits. Um, yeah. So, okay. and then their other loss that I have is to my number one from the North, the Oregon ducks. Um, so, so let me, <laughs> let me go into uh, Oregon here and, and let me tell you why I think that Oregon nudges Washington just barely. So okay. a lot of people are high on Oregon this year and think that they could be on the playoff watch list. They're also on a lot of people's overrated list and I'll mm. put you in that bucket uh, Chappie. They return as much on offense as just about any team in the country in terms of both quantity and quality. Of course, they get back Justin Herbert, who's highly regarded as a pro prospect, but he seems to have fallen short in the college game thus far in his career. Completed 59% of his passes last year, which is good, not great. His game log is a little baffling. So he completed under 50% against Bowling Green and San Jose State last year. Completed exactly 50% against Arizona, which did not have a good defense last year at all. Uh, but he did complete over 70% in four games, including games against Stanford and Cal. So that was impressive. Had a 29 to eight touchdown to interception ratio and threw for over 3,100 yards. He's got the tools, but he really needs better results. And more than anything needs to be more consistent for this duck offense. What I like even more than Justin Herbert are the two impressive freshman running backs that they returned from last year, CJ Verdell and Travis Dye. The two combined for 1700 yards, 14 touchdowns and look to improve upon that this year. Uh, both because they will be tr um, sophomores this year, but also because they'll be running behind one of the top five offensive lines in the in the country. Mm -hmm. Four of the uh, starters um, from this year should challenge for first or second all all Pac-12 honors, while Calvin Throckmorton could even be an All-American. As if that wasn't enough on this offense, they're highly talented at receiver as well. They lose Dylan Mitchell, but return their next four receiving options. Jalen Red had five touchdowns last year, while Jacob Breeland averaged 15.7 yards per catch. And they also bring in Juwan Johnson as a transfer from Penn State, and I think he's going to lead the Ducks in in uh, receiving this year and challenge for over a thousand yards. I'm that high on him, and wow. he's done nothing but impress in the spring. Um, so I think he has a bounce back year similar to what he had in 2016 before or 2017 before disappointing last year at, at Penn State. Um, but I think that he's that big body that fills in for Dylan Mitchell perfectly. They also have Bryson Addison and Micah Pittman. And now Pittman just hurt his shoulder in practice a couple of days ago and will be out eight weeks or so. 
Um, but both are redshirt freshmen and both impressed during the spring. So look for uh, either one of those guys to carve out a potential role this year as they are um, have the athletic ability and the talent. So this offense could be very explosive this year, but it's really all going to depend on how consistent Justin Herbert is and what his potential improvement is from last year. Defensively, they don't return as much of the offense, but they still get seven back and they look to have one of the better defenses in the conference. Their corners are what impressed me the most. Um, Thomas Graham and Demandre Lenore uh, each had three picks last year. Graham had 18 passes broken up while Lenore had nine. I really like that group of uh, or that uh, duo of corners. Nick Pickett returns at safety and each projected starting defensive back uh, for the Ducks this year had at least 44 tackles last year, which is impressive. Javon Holland is a returner, but technically not a returning starter. He impressed last year, had five picks, six passes broken up. And the secondary will also have highly touted freshman Michael Wright coming in uh, as a true freshman who could see considerable playing time and obviously add some good depth. Um, Great athlete there in the secondary for them. Linebacker Troy Dye returns once again as a leading tackler, as it seems like he's been in a duck uniform for the last 10 years straight. Uh, Last year, finished with 115 tackles, eight tackles for loss, seven passes broken up. They also get Lamar Winston coming back uh, as well as he had four and a half tackles for loss, eight quarterback Corey's last year. And on the defensive line, Jordan uh, Jordan Scott's the best of the bunch, and they also get the number one recruit in the country, according to some sources, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, coming in at defensive end. He is uh, one of the better athletes to come out um, on the defensive line uh, this year and will probably be starting for the Ducks. He could get to the quarterback uh, early and often this year. So that uh, the back seven should be the strength of this defense, but that defensive line has potential as well. I'm not completely sold on Mario Cristobal, and that's the only thing that keeps me um, a little bit grounded on the Ducks this year. I don't think that he's the the best X's and O's or the best game day coach, despite how good he is as a recruiter. Um, I think he has Oregon going in the right direction, but I like the team more than I like the coach here. I have Oregon going 10-2 and overall, 7-2 and in the conference. I have their losses against Washington State and then a, a late upset at Arizona State um, to be their two losses, but again, winning the game in Washington uh, on October 19th to uh, take the crown in the North here um, in the Pac-12, Chappie. Yeah, and my my big difference between Washington and Oregon is I am I am not as high on Washington as much as I am not uh, convinced on Oregon, if that makes any sense, you know? So I have more yeah, questions yeah. about Oregon being the number one sure. than I do about, you know, my, my affirmations that Washington is the number one team. So, uh, I mean, you look at, and for me, for Oregon, I like their defense better than their offense, even though they've got a lot of weapons on offense. I'm more sold on Andy Avalos, their new D coordinator who comes over from Boise state. I'm not sold on Marcus Arroyo as their OC, and I know that there's Ducks fans who are a little bit hesitant on him as well. I'm also not sold on Mario Cristobal either, and I know I'm kind of talking out of two sides of my mouth because people are like, wait a minute, you're picking Florida State to win 10 games with Willie Taggart, who's not a (laughs) reputable head coach, and you're picking USC with Clay Helton to win 10 games. But But there's no Kendall Bryles at Oregon. (laughs) Exactly, or Graham Harrell. So, again, that's the big difference for me and it's not even a big difference I like I said it comes down to that game in Seattle where I think the Huskies were pissed at losing so close in a game they should have won last year in uh, Eugene and now they're coming back trying to get that redemption and that series I was just looking at it 
has gone back and forth. I think uh, Oregon owns a three to two uh, record in the last five years. So Chris Peterson has struggled beating the Ducks. So like you touched on, Oregon is my number two team, by the way. Um, I have them finishing at, excuse me, nine and three overall, seven and two in the conference. They have a lot coming back on both sides, 54 total returning lettermen, um, and they had a good recruiting haul, and we'll get to that in a minute. But, um, you know, so much relies on Axel Heck slash Justin Herbert. He's a talent, <laughs> but if he struggles or the I word happens, all these preseason aspirations may go down, even though backup quarterback Tyler Shaw uh, had a, a pretty impressive spring. A lot of it with their their hopes for success comes down to, um, you know, what Justin Herbert can do. So they do have the best offensive line in the conference and certainly top five in the country. Pretty good running back group, but they're more slash and burn than they are grind and churn. So, you know, what's that going to look like when they need to pound things out and because we we saw last year they had some trouble holding <laughs> on to the football. Yeah, uh, we won't go into that again. But <laughs> um, offensive numbers are pretty good, but not great. And to be a college football playoff contender, even to be a Pac-12 contender, they're going to have to be better than what their offensive output was last year. They need to get that explosion back like we saw when Chip Kelly and crew were coaching there. And Scott Frost was the offensive coordinator. They were just 57th in explosion plays in offense last year. I still see that they need a home run threat. I like Juwan Johnson's addition at wide receiver. Um, Jalen Red can be the de facto home run threat. C.J. Verdell can kind of be that guy too. Um, but I, I they, none of those guys looks to me like a Travis Etienne or uh, you know a Jerry Judy or a Jalen Waddle. That kind of guy who you're just like you know your heart stops if you're at a point like oh crap he's in the uh, you know he's behind the secondary or he's up the middle. You know, what are we going to do? Can we bottle him up? I, I just yeah, don't see that LaMichael James type. Um, I was going to say a, any number of guys in the um, Chip Kelly era of, of right. Oregon. Exactly. Uh, defensively, you touched upon it. The strength is definitely going to be in the secondary. And I really like their young guys. I think um, Wright is a guy who can probably come in and play and, and log some good minutes as a true freshman this year. They have strength and presence at all three levels, which is good. Scott on the defensive line, Die at middle linebacker, and Gordon at cornerback. Again, pretty good, but not great defensive numbers, especially they or they need to be especially better in the red zone. Just 75th in, in stopping teams inside the 20 last year. Um, they need to get better at getting behind the line of scrimmage, which is why they attacked and went after somebody like Kayvon Thibodeau. So, you know, what sort of impact could he have as a true freshman? Um, I think people are putting a little too much weight on Mario Cristobal and their recruiting. I'm not sold on his in-game coaching, which we've talked about in previous podcasts. And the recruits are not all going to be freshman All-Americans this year. Thibodeau and Wright could step up and have big years. But I'm not going to say that uh, they're going to be a college football playoff team simply because of their recruiting. Right. And again, similar to Herm Edwards, I'm going to have to see it from Cristobal to believe it. Uh, and, and I'm really going to have to see it more so from offensive coordinator Marcus Arroyo. So if they make the college football playoff, I would anoint Arroyo as the Broyles winner for, you know, stepping up and making his offense much better than what it has been. Um, and I forgive me, Bip, I, I didn't uh, I can't remember. or I didn't hear what you said. What do you have them doing in their opener against Auburn in Arlington, Texas? Do you have them winning or losing? I have them winning that one. And okay. Traditionally, in those cross-conference uh, games that involve the SEC, the SEC has been very successful. So that's what yeah. gives me cause for concern. 
But I think it's going to be a hell of a matchup with that Auburn defensive line against this Oregon offensive line. The winner of that matchup is going to win this game. I think I think that the Oregon offensive line neutralizes them enough and that I'm not similarly to Mario Cristobal. I can't trust um, Gus Malzahn anymore either uh, in coaching. And I think that Oregon's got just a little bit more returning than what Auburn does uh, because outside that defensive line. Um, and, and the defense in general, I have major question marks about that offense, that Auburn offense. See, and, and, and I think about it the opposite way. I have Auburn winning that game because I think the Auburn defensive line goes against much tougher offensive lines in the sec than, uh, uh, Oregon's offensive line goes against tougher defensive lines in the pac 12. I just see, you know, head to head. I think that Auburn defensive front is much more battle tested and much more, sharpened iron than the Oregon offensive line is. Now, don't get me wrong. Oregon has a great offensive line, right. but I just don't know, especially in that week one matchup. I think that they're going to run into a buzzsaw kind of like Washington did last year when, mm-hmm. when Auburn put it to them. Um, right. I think that they'll rebound nicely, but then I have them losing at Washington on October 19th. I have them losing at USC and then winning out the rest of the way to again, finish nine and three, seven and two in the PAC 12 North finishing second. Okay. Well, Chappie, why don't you take us into uh, your number three then? Um, okay. Who do you got? Number three, I have the 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 Cardinal of Stanford University, who coincidentally is the opening week matchup against my Northwestern Wildcats, which I do have the Stanford Cardinal winning that game. So sorry, Wildcat fans, but I got to call it like I see it. Stanford's another team that um, I was not confident about from last year. But David Shaw, contrary to Mario Cristobal, he strikes a lot more. He's he's built up a lot more credit to me, positive credit than Cristobal has. So um, to have them finishing third and going eight and four, five and four in the Pac-12 is, you know, one of those things where I really loosen my collar and I, I kind of wonder, did I make a mistake in, in picking them to win that few of games? Because David Shaw is, is proven to be a winner at Stanford. So. Breaking it down, offensively, they lost a lot of offensive production. Only 45% comes back, and that's a big reason why I just can't see Stanford cracking the top two in the north and and topping eight wins. K.J. Costello was one of the more efficient quarterbacks in the country and probably the most efficient in the Pac-12 last year. I'm sorry, he was the most efficient Pac-12 quarterback last year, probably the quietest and maybe most underappreciated quarterbacks in the country. Yeah. He completed 65% of his passes for 3,500 yards, a 29 to 11 touchdown to interception ratio. That's pretty darn good. His receivers and running backs are going to be young and inexperienced this year. And that's really where the, the question lies. You know, I mean, obviously they lose JJ Arcega Whiteside, who was the headliner on the outside there. Bryce love at running back was the headliner in the backfield. Um, you know, they, they, they're doing without their top three receivers. They're two receivers plus tight end Caden Smith. They do bring back all American tight end Colby Parkinson, who I'm pretty high on. And I know that you are as well. Um, not too worried about their offensive line, even though they're replacing basically three and a half starters. One of their replacements, Foster Sorrell was one of the top O-line recruits two years ago. And it's just a, a factory of offensive linemen down on the farm. So again, I'm not concerned about them up front. I am concerned about, you know, how quickly they can, replenish their receiver and running back group. Um, I honestly think it's going to come down to Austin Jones, their top recruit as a 5'10", 200-pound running back, to eventually 
upseat Cameron Scarlett and Trevor Spates and Dorian Maddox in that, uh, you know, group of veterans who are coming back to try and replace Bryce Love. They weren't very good on third down last year, 65th in the country or scoring offense, but scoring isn't always a necessity for Stanford as they ground and pound and play clock control and they set up to play good defense. The last year they were 22nd in explosion plays. A big part of that, though, was, um, you know, the downfield threat of Caden Smith, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, and then Trent Irwin was kind of that jack-of-all-trades guy. Defensively, they should be better. Uh, you know, that's going to be the better of the two sides of the ball this year. They're respectable up front, but even better in the back end. We talked about Paulson Adebo, who's an All-American cornerback. Uh, Malik Antoine at strong safety gives him another good guy in, in the back there. Um, defense, or I'm sorry, their linebacking crew, since they play a 3-4 scheme, they're replacing three of their linebackers, and they're pretty high on their young guys, especially Curtis Robinson, who comes down from safety. He was a top 10 recruit as a safety. They're, they're pretty high on Jacob Mangum Farrar. Jordan Fox, you know, got some good logs last year, played in 11 games. Uh, or I'm sorry, yeah, played pretty much all season last year, but um, not a lot of uh, – cohesion as a unit and you know they're going to have to be serviceable as Michael Williams and Jovan Swan I really like Swan and then even Thomas Booker pretty good defensive front but when you've got four linebackers playing around Casey Tuhill comes back uh, that's good news for them but um, you know they're going to have to really solidify while that offense gels and, and establishes themselves and Stanford runs into a pretty tough schedule early on I mean you look at what they start out with. Obviously, Big Ten West champ Northwestern Wildcats and a team who made Utah look just silly in the second half of the Holiday Bowl last year. They come out to Palo Alto. I think Stanford opens up with a win there, but then they have to travel to the Coliseum to play USC. They have to go out to Orlando in the bounce house to play um, UCF. Then they come back home and play Oregon. They have to travel to Oregon State, and then they play Washington at home. That is a very very tough yeah. slate of games to start off. And I think that that's really going to be kind of their undoing. I have them literally trading off wins and losses in those first six. Bip. I have them going win, loss, win, loss, win, loss coming off of a buy. I have them beating UCLA and Arizona coming off another buy, beating Colorado. So it gets a little bit easier after that first six games. I have them losing out in the Palouse to Washington state and then ending up with two consecutive wins to Cal and sorry, Notre Dame to end the year out on the farm to finish eight and four, going five and four in the Pac-12, going third in the Pac-12 North. Bit. Well, Chappie, I think you're right. I think you're. I think you're wrong in the number of wins that Stanford's going to have this year. But I'm not going to go higher than you. I'm going to go actually lower. And Stanford huh? finishes fourth in the North for me. I'll get into their win-loss record in a minute. But last year, Stanford is one that you read the stats um, only and the, and the name not attached to them, you would never believe it was a Stanford team or a David Shaw led team. 123rd in the country in rushing offense. That's offense, what blew me away. Yeah. I mean, 123rd with Bryce Love and David Shaw and that offensive line. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I, I literally looked at that stat three different times because I thought it was wrong. Right. And, and that offensive line was constantly pushed around last year. Definitely yeah. not a Stanford offensive line, which blew me away. They were 78th in total defense, 115th in passing D, despite having Paulson Adebo. So you imagine if they didn't have him, how atrocious that passing D could have been. 
the right. and the offense this year could really struggle. As I mentioned, finished 123rd in rushing offense last year. That's a number of the early 2000 Stanford teams, not from the Harbaugh-Shaw era. They lose Bryce Love, four offensive linemen. You mentioned that they get Foster Sorrell coming in, so that helps. And having him and Walker Little as the bookend tackles is really going to give them a shot in the arm potentially. But what do they have in the middle of the offensive line? And, and even still, that offensive line didn't even look good last year. So um, Cameron Scarlett has talent, but averaged just 4.2 yards per carry last year. Um, the passing game was really humming under KJ Costello. I'm with you. I think that he's one of the guys that could really sling it last year, but not a lot of people talked about him. Uh, the Cardinal finished second in the conference and 25th in the, in the country in passing, um, Costello returns and, and is once again, expected to be one of the the better quarterbacks in the PAC 12, but he's going to face a major challenge as he loses his top two receivers and top tight end who combined for 2,400 yards and 18 touchdowns. They have some talented wide receivers who look to step up, but they're much smaller than last year's group, and it's going to be a different dynamic for this passing attack. Uh, Someone to keep an eye on, Osiris St. Brown, averaged 25.5 yards per catch last year, only had eight catches, but he had catches of 53, 49, and 52 last year, so he could be their their definite big play receiver uh, going into this year. And... Like you mentioned, I really like Colby Parkinson. I think he's going to exceed 800 yards this year and could take the lion's share of the touchdowns left behind by Arcega Whiteside. I think he's going to be first team all Pac-12. Could challenge for All-American status and also challenge for the Mackey Award. But this could be another subpar offense for uh, the Cardinal. And on top of that, the defense loses a lot as well. They'll be without four of their top six tacklers and a couple team leaders. The defensive line should be their strength. Swan and Booker combined for eight sacks last year and look to improve upon last year's 45th overall finish in rushing D. At linebacker, it's going to be really tough to replace Barton and Okariki, but you mentioned some of the young guys that are stepping in. Ricky Miezon, uh impressed a lot in the spring, and he could be one of those guys that steps in uh, to replace them. Uh, mentioned Paulson Nadebo. Uh, he should challenge for All-American status once again. But like I mentioned, they finished 115th in passing D last year, and they lose two starters, so this unit could be in trouble again. The defense did a good job of holding opponents in scoring as they finished 37th in the country in scoring D, but when they finished 78th in total D, that differential figures to be unsustainable in my opinion, and the points per game allowed could increase this year if they don't start limiting those yards given up. I don't see them limiting the yards allowed. In fact, I think that their yards their yards per game allowed could even increase from last year due to the side the sizable losses suffered on D. So look for that uh, points per game to also trend upwards um, if they don't get things figured out. The schedule, as you mentioned, is maybe as troubling as everyone that they lose. I have them starting off one in five, losing to wow. Northwestern, USC, UCF, Oregon, beating uh, Oregon State, losing to Washington. But keep an eye out on that Oregon State game. It's sandwiched in between Oregon and Washington. It's Mm -hmm. in Corvallis. So if Stanford starts 0-6, I would be shocked. But I would not be as shocked as some around the country. I think that um, this Cardinal team, it it didn't impress me much last year. They finished 9-4, but a lot of their games were uh, ones that could have gone either way. I don't think that they have the running game. I don't think they have the offensive line that they normally do. I think that defense is going to be down once again. 
I hate to say this because I really like David Shaw as a coach, but I have them finishing five and seven overall, five and four in the conference, losing all of their non-conference games against very good opponents. And in conference, I have them writing the ship a little bit um, in their last six, but it's tough after that uh, six-game slate. I have them beating UCLA, Arizona, Colorado, and Cal, losing to uh, Washington State and Notre Dame in two of their last three games. So again, fifth or uh, fourth in the North, uh, five and seven overall, five and four in the conference, Chappie. Granted, if they go four and two in that first six-game slate with their only losses to Oregon and Washington, watch out. This could be yes. a 10 Stanford team or nine win at worst, you know, assuming that maybe they lose to Notre Dame or they lose to, you know, maybe a team like Washington State or or Cal or somebody trips them up. But um, yeah, yeah this, I, is, this is one of those that could make me look like a genius or could make me look like a fool. And like you mentioned, if they come away with a winning record in those first six games going into their bye week, they're going to have a lot of confidence because that's probably the toughest first uh, six games of any team in the country. And that's going to mean that they found a running back as well in a running game. And when Stanford has a running game, watch out. Yeah, not only a running game, but also solidified solidify that offensive line. Um, so those two things going in hand, uh, they, they could be back to wearing teams down like they did um, prior to last year. Sure. So who do you have third in the North then, Bip? Because you said uh, Stanford's your number four. Who's number three? Well, at number three, I have the Washington State Cougars. And the Cougars, similar to um, Stanford, has some sizable off- uh, losses on offense as well as they lose uh, Gardner Minshew and James Williams, their starting running back. Minshew took the conference by storm last year, obviously, throwing for over 4,700 yards, 38 touchdowns while Williams led the team in rushing and in catches with 83 of them uh, and scoring 16 touchdowns. On the plus side, though, Wazoo returns eight of their top 10 pass catchers, running backs included, who all had at least 20 catches. So they they return a lot of production um, in catching the ball. Dontavian, um, or uh, Devon Tavian uh, Martin and Desmond Patton each had over 60 catches, 650 yards, and combined for 13 touchdowns. And I really like Max Borgie. I think that uh, he's going to build upon his impressive freshman season, in which he averaged 5.1 yards per carry. Uh, he also had 53 catches, 12 total touchdowns. And he's going to be joined by talented true freshman Jameer Thomas, who is one of the Cougars' top recruits. So I think that uh, they they can make up for that loss of James Williams. Uh, quarterback's a little bit of a mystery as they go the route of transfer once again, bringing in Gage Gubrud. But he was really one of the all-stars of the FCS um, as he was an FCS All-American twice, I believe, had over 11,000 total yards and 100 total touchdowns, a true dual threat quarterback that could do it with his arm and his legs. Um, now, he was nursing an ankle injury and missed most of the spring. And while he did so, Anthony Gordon impressed as well, showing uh, similar mobility. So being that both of those guys are mobile quarterbacks, it could add an interesting wrinkle to that air raid offense. And if they can um, take to it as well as, or even, uh, you know, 80% of what Minshew did, I think the fact that they could take off with their uh, running the ball as well, this offense could be really fun to watch once again this year. And we know that Mike Leach um, is a quarterback guru and can basically insert anyone and they'll be good. That offensive line, um, they lose top uh, offensive lineman Andre Dillard, but they do return four starters. So I think this offense should be good to go once again, and that's really what I have powering them through um, this year. But defensively, um, 
similar to last year, I think they could surprise some people as this defense was much better than what most people expect from a Mike Leach-led team. They finished fifth in the conference in scoring D and fourth in total D. They returned six on uh, the defensive side of the ball with half of those in the secondary and what figures to be the strength of that defense. Jalen Thompson's one of the top safeties in the country. He had eight passes broken up, two interceptions and 67 tackles last year. Marcus Strong also returns after leading the team with three picks. And Skylar Thompson, their nickelback, was third on the team with 76 tackles and also added two interceptions himself. The Cougars also bring in three JUCO transfers in the secondary that were in for the spring, all three of them were. So this uh, secondary has some talent. They also have some good depth, uh, which is necessary in that Pac-12 where they like to throw the ball around a little bit. Jihad Woods returns as a potential all-Pac-12 linebacker. And freshman uh, and Willie Taylor had four sacks and seven and a half tackles for loss last year. He looks to build upon that impressive freshman season. On the defensive line, Will Rogers returns um, coming off of four sacks, seven and a half tackle for loss season at defensive tackle. And they also bring in Lamonte McDougal at nose tackle to help clog up the middle. So I was impressed with the defense last year, and I think they could be even better in year two under Tracy Clays. I have the Cougars not being as impressive as last year. Um, I have them finishing seven and five overall, five and four in the conference with their I have them winning their first two games, losing their non-conference uh, game in week three against Houston. Uh, and I think that that's going to be one of the, the more entertaining games to watch this entire season. I have them beating UCLA, losing at Utah, losing at Arizona State, uh, beating Colorado, upsetting Oregon at Oregon, and then losing at Cal, winning against Stanford at home, Oregon State at home, and then losing their last game of the year in the Apple Cup at Washington. So um, so the Cougars are third for me, 7-5 and five overall, 5-4 five and four in the conference, Chappie. I have the same record for both overall and conference, but I have them at fifth overall. Um, and, you know, a lot of the same points as you. Now, Mike Leach, you know, Picking them to win seven games is difficult for me, given where they've been recently. He's won eight games or more the last four years. Nine wins, eight wins, nine wins, 11 wins last year. And it really, I thought, should have been 12. I thought that they should have had Washington in the Apple Cup last yeah. year playing at home at Martin Stadium. I think that the snow just kind of really threw them off their, their game, and, and that really helped the Huskies. But right. that was a fun game to watch on that Friday night. But so, yeah, the health of Gage Gubrud and how much are they getting their other quarterbacks work? You know, that's a big question for me. Usually don't have to worry about a Mike Leach offense, so I'm not going to. I'm not going to break precedent. Offense was one of the most efficient last year. Good numbers in nearly every category except rush offense. But, again, in this, you know, air raid attack, you're not expecting a run game. You're just expecting a, a guy who can give you a few yards here and there, uh, more of a, a pass catcher out of the backfield. It's about quick release and attacking vertically downfield or laterally to the perimeter. Question marks for me are at running back behind Max Borgie, who I know that you love. Um, and how will this offensive line do when the pass game is ineffective? Because that's where we saw they ran into some problems last year was when the passing game was somewhat subdued and they had to turn to um, a little bit of an inside game. So health of Gubrud at, at quarterback, who I think can be a, a big stat producer for them. And what do they look like behind Max Borgie? Uh, defensively was a pleasant surprise last year. And credit goes to Tracy Clays. I thought he got a raw deal in his exit from Minnesota. Uh, it's good to see that he's come back and has 
you know, made a name for himself as a yeah. coordinator. I think that they'll be decent again this year as they have 64% of the production returning. Strength is going to be, to me, in the secondary, even though that offensive front looks good. And their, their numbers backed it up last year. 16th in the country in sacks, 33rd in tackles for loss. And a big part of it, like you talked about, was Willie Taylor, Will Rogers. I think that Lamont McDougal transferring from West Virginia is going to be a pretty good addition, Six foot two ninety five, And they said that you know he really kind of asserted himself in the spring and, and gave defensive teammates and defensive coordinator Tracy Clays a lot of reason for optimism up the middle there. Uh, red zone defense has to be better. They were athletic, but not overly physical. And again, getting back to that 3-4 defensive style, it proved to be a liability inside the 20. I think they were like 94th in stopping uh, teams in scoring zones. So, uh, you know, that really puts you in a bind where you have to play good defense outside of the 30 because once you get inside, you're almost uh, yielding a score every time, which typically in a Mike Leach coach team, you've got the offense to compete with that. But we saw it against Washington. And even to an extent against USC, there are only two regular season losses last year that that proved to be uh, a little bit of their undoing. Um, perhaps the Pac-12's best special teams, and that could make a difference. Kick returner Travell Harris, punter Oscar Drugasevich, uh, two headliners, probably going to be all Pac-12 performers. Even their place kicker, Blake Mazza, um, you know, was... Uh, you know, serviceable last year, transferring over from Arkansas. He was 10 of 15, but a long of 50 yards. So, you know, he's got a little bit of a leg. Where they need to clean up, they weren't very disciplined. 102nd in penalties last year. They can't really recruit that well. You know, Pullman, Washington's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And so that's where, you know, a Mike Leach, you know, the Mike Leach factor is guys are excited to play for him. He's kind of that, uh, you know, he's, he's a maverick type coach and, and a lot of recruits seem to be drawn to that. I don't know if you saw the, the Twitter video, but uh, they had a team outing this summer and he there was a viral video that went out where he took a belly flop into a pool. Made me hurt just watching him do it. But, <laughs> you know, he's that type of coach who, you know, he really does get into it with his players and is not a, a my way or the highway thing to where it's it's divisive. You know, I mean, he is he's set in his ways and, you know, again, plug in the book, the system. That was uh, there was a, a couple of chapters about Mike Leach, and he's somebody who sets right out and says, "You're gonna do, you're gonna make it in the classroom, or I will boot you." And he's noted even when he got to Wazoo, kicking off some all conference type players because of the fact that they were just not going to be good character guys, or they weren't cutting it in the classroom. So it's good to see that, but he does translate into that into a good player coach relationship. And again, it's tough for me to peg them down at seven wins. Yeah, but, me too. Um, but you know, again, the uh, the way that the the rest of the North shapes up this year, uh, I have to go that way. And that's going to segue me, Bip, into the team I have ahead of them, my number four team. And it's caught some flack on Twitter again. But I'm going to go with the Oregon State Beavers at fourth in the Pac-12 North with an mm. identical 7-5, and 4-5 and five record to the Cougars. But I have Oregon State beating Wazoo head-to-head. So let me break down the Beavers for everybody. Um Offensively, bottom third of nearly every offensive category, so this will need to be much better. Running backs and wide receivers will both be good and underrated, I think. Even though their run, their rush offense did not blow people out of the water in terms of their numbers, Jamar Jefferson certainly did. And even his backup, Artavis Pierce, both guys had impressive numbers last year. Jefferson averaged 5.8 per carry. Pierce averaged 7.6 per carry. Uh, Jefferson had over 1,400 yards. And Pierce 
you know, going at 7.6 a pop with 54 touches to the ball. Their third leading rusher was wide receiver Trevon Bradford with an 11.3 yards per carry. So that means that they use him on end arounds and sweeps and whatnot. I think that both groups are going to be a lot deeper than many people are going to give them credit for. The question is, do they have the quarterback and the offensive line to allow them to give or to allow them to have time, space, and opportunity to do what they do best? I think that it's going to be improvement. I really do think that Jonathan Smith is kind of that X factor. He's a good offensive mind. He was at Washington. I, I love the type of player that he was when he was a quarterback there. Defensively is, is the biggest question mark there, and this is where everybody has question marks. They were just flat-out awful last year. Their highest overall defensive rank of, rank of any relevant category was 104th. So that means that every other considerable defensive category, they were pretty much in the bottom 10 or bottom 15 bit. So, uh, But it was their first year under that coaching staff. They're getting some quality defensive transfers added this season. Addison Gums, who comes over from Oklahoma. Um, you know, Avery Roberts comes over from Nebraska. And, you know, that's not even to mention some of the other offensive transfers that they have on that side of the ball. Um, but, uh, you know, you really can't go anywhere but up from here if you're Oregon State defensively. And if they don't improve in the first few weeks, then I think that their defensive coordinator should be fired because that uh, – that defense, you know, their their output last year was atrocious, and that was really their undoing, and and put their offense in a lot of, uh, you know, losable situation or you know no win situations. Um, they've gotten better in recruiting the last two years, and I think that the new transfer portal thing, as much as we complain about it, Bip, I think that it's really going to benefit a school like Oregon State because where they can't compete with high school kids, they can compete with kids who. Uh, are maybe sitting for a year or two and saying, you know what, I want to play right away. And Oregon State, under this new staff and playing in the Pac-12, that's maybe a school where I could come in and I could contribute right away, guys like we mentioned with Gums and Roberts. So I think that that's really going to uh, benefit uh, a school like Oregon State, kind of the same way that schools like um, Kansas State and even Mississippi State benefited from the JUCO ranks back in the 90s and the you know the early 2000s and whatnot. Bips. So I think also... There's that Jonathan Smith and Reeser Stadium magic factor. I think the schedule sets up them for them to have a chance. So breaking down their schedule, I have them starting off 3-0. I think they get an opening weekend win on a Friday night against Oklahoma State up in Reeser Stadium. I think hmm. that it's, it's going to be um, – everything's going to be set up for Oregon State. I think if they can kind of neutralize Smoochie Wallace – Oregon State can come and smack them in the mouth a couple of times, and that crowd's going to get loud. I think it might be just a little bit before Oklahoma State's going to hit their stride. Then they go and they win at Hawaii. They win at home against Cal Poly to start off 3-0. and After a bye, they drop three straight to Stanford, UCLA, and Utah. They beat Cal on the road. And then um, where they really make a name for themselves is after losing at Arizona, I think that they get Washington in an upset win Again, on a six-day rest for the Huskies, like I already talked about. Then they win at home against Arizona State. I think they go to Pullman and beat Washington State to become, uh, you know, get their seventh win, and then they lose the Civil War at Oregon. But I think, you know, three wins early, three wins toward the end of the season, and sandwiched in that win against a lowly Cal team, at least offensively. And um, Oregon State finishes 7-5, and 4-5. and five. I, I, I really think Oregon State is kind of that team that, surprises a lot of people this year with that record and with what Jonathan Smith's got going. At least I'm putting my eggs in his basket, so I'm hoping Coach Smith can prove me with some <laughs> credence this year. So, yeah, I have him finishing fourth. 
Um, identical record with Washington State, but getting that head-to-head win on November 23rd. They finished 7-5, and 4-5 and five overall. Pivot. I was wondering where you were going to have them finish because I know that you're high on uh, Jonathan Smith <laughs> and the – Oregon State Beavers, and and yeah, our, our listeners might might just stop it at that point and say that you are high, um, right? Without exactly. the rest of that, but um, yeah. So Oregon State was a laughing stock of the Pac-12 last year, but they did have some pretty positive momentum heading into 2019. You mentioned the transfers that they get, um, and they they look to climb out of the cellar. They don't do it just yet. I have them finishing sixth in the North, uh, but. Sure. I, I like the potential that they have on offense and their skill position players. Um, they returned two of their top three receivers in Hodgins and Bradford, who each caught at least 56 passes, and they combined for over 1,500 yards and 11 touchdowns last year. Bringing in Tyjon Lindsay from Nebraska gives him another talented athletic receiver um, for Jonathan Luton to throw, or for Jake Luton to throw to. You mentioned the the running backs, Jamar Jefferson, Artavis Pierce. Both of them are dynamic backs and should give um uh opposing defenses headaches in regards to defending that running game i i'm not sold on jake luton he's looked good but he's had plenty of questions going into this year um they need him to be a little more dynamic throwing the football but he limits mistakes as evidenced by only throwing four picks last year i'm just not i'm not sold that he's someone that can take over a game if they need him to in the fourth quarter or even more so in the last two minutes of the game. And the offensive line really worries me as they allowed 48 sacks last year and they only returned two starters for 2019. So the offense could be improved. Um, But for me, where it all begins and ends is that defense. And I didn't know that Brian Van Gorder doubled as both the um, (laughs) Louisville and Oregon State defensive coordinator last year. I just picture him uh, being somewhere on that sideline in the Groucho Marx uh, sunglasses, fake nose and mustache uh, drawing the place up. But they finished 120. That, that's that's uh, at BFC BIP, Oregon State fans. <laughs> well, and uh, I, I can I can pay you or you can pay me for his address, too, if you want to send hate. Mail. <laughs> well, sure. But OK, so if it weren't for UConn, a team that is almost going that is almost on the verge of uh, dropping down to the FCS level. Oregon State would have finished dead last in rushing D, total D, and scoring D. Oh, and they also yeah. finished 101st in passing D. So they do return upwards of nine <laughs> starters, and they get a few um, uh, valuable transfers coming in. They return nine of their top 11 tacklers, uh, or they return their top nine tacklers and 11 of their top 12. Um, the back eight figures to be the strength of the defense, but I use that term very loosely after that showing that they had last year. Uh, safety Jalen Moore led the team with 100 tackles. Hamilcar Rashid um, had 11 tackles for loss, and they also bring in linebacker transfers Avery Roberts from Nebraska and Addison Gums from Oklahoma. They return Isaac Hodgins on the defensive line, but they might struggle to stop the run once again this year. And the defense could once again be the worst in the conference, but figure to increase their takeaways and sacks last year, which were only eight and 15 respectively. Um, so if they have any hopes of increasing their win total, they're going to need both of those numbers to jump up. So while they'll be bet right. at the bottom of the conference, it might go from emb- an embarrassing defense to just a bad defense this year. Uh, and I think combining that with what <laughs> figures to be an improved offense as well, I think you see a slight improvement from the Beavers this year. I'm going four and eight overall, two and seven in the conference. I have them losing the opener against Oklahoma State. 
Then I have them beating uh, Hawaii and Cal Poly. Their other two wins that are in conference, I have them winning at Cal, going on a bye, and then winning at Arizona. So a couple uh, impressive games right there. But they're going to be one of those teams that if you let them hang around enough, they have enough offensive firepower to where they could be that thorn in your side. I don't have them jumping up to seven wins like you do uh, overall this year, but I do have them uh, winning four. Uh, but they're my they're my bottom team in the in the uh, in the North, Chappie. OK, so give us your thoughts on Cal, because um, they're at number five for you then, correct? Yes, yes, that's correct. Yeah. So um, this this Cal offense is just about as bad as it got last year, and things yeah. might be even worse this year. The Bears lose four of their top five receivers. They lose their best player, Patrick Laird, who led the team in rushing yards and led the team in catches last year. This leaves Chase Garbers as the only non-offensive lineman returning starter on the offense. And while he completed 61% of his passes last year, he only uh, had a 5.8 yards per attempt and had a 14 to 10 touchdown to interception ratio and is one of the bottom two or three quarterbacks in the conference. His backup last year, Brandon McIlwain, uh, has moved to wide receiver, so depth is even questionable at the position as well. Christopher Brown returns as the leading returning uh, true rusher um, with only 148 yards, as uh, I believe both quarterbacks outrushed him last year. And the Bears will majorly be lacking in uh, at, in the skill positions. The strength of that offense, if you can call it that, would be the offensive line, which returns three starters. But that's kind of by default due to the fact that there's not a whole lot of talent returning this year on the offensive side of the ball. Um, so the the true strength of this team, once again, is going to be that defense. And luckily for Cal fans, it, it's going to be another very nasty, very stingy defense. They finished first in the Pac-12 um, and ninth overall in the country in passing D last year. And they returned everyone in that secondary. So they could even be better this year against the pass. Jalen Hawkins led the team with six picks. Cameron Bynum uh, had 10 passes broken up. Elijah Hicks had five tackles for loss at the corner position, also added a pick. Um, and all or Elijah Hicks finished third on the team in tackles and added five passes broken up in four picks. All four of these guys could make all pack 12 teams, and it's going to be tough to throw on Cal once again this year. Linebacker should be in almost as good a shape last year, despite the loss of Jordan Kunazic. Um, and while that's a lot of production to replace, um, they do return tackling machine. Evan Weaver, who was all over the field last year, had 159 tackles. They bring in yeah. Juco transfer uh, Kwani Dang, who is one of the top Juco players in the country. And Russian Tevin Paul returns, who had two sacks, nine tackles for loss last year, as well as Cameron Good, um, who comes back after being lost for the year with injury last year. The defensive line's a little thin for the Bears, returning only Luke Biquette. Um, but he uh, was first on the team with five sacks and uh, fifth on the team in tackles last year. So I, I don't uh, see Cal um finishing higher than fifth this year um i have them beating uc davis um i have them pulling the upset as i mentioned earlier at washington in the second game of the year mainly because of that yeah. secondary and that defense against what should be a young washington offense um i also have them beating north texas and arizona state and then i have their last uh win of the year being in conference against washington state so Five and seven overall, three and six in the conference. But um, things could change if they somehow figure to get some semblance of offenses. They won't need a whole lot of offense with how good that defense is going to be. But I don't know where they're going to find it from. 
Yeah, and I find it very intriguing that you have them knocking off the Huskies in week two, and that's not going to give them any kind of momentum to build to a bowl record. Um, and, so, and and let me, let me say that I I was thinking about that too, um, but I think that's just I think that's just going to be one of those things to where I, I I'm thinking that Cal with that defense is going to. Uh, force a couple timely turnovers, and yeah, yeah. I think that they catch them at just the right time. If they played Washington sure. at just about any other time in the season, I don't pencil yeah. the Bears in for um that that upset at that time. But if there's right. a, if there's any time that Cal is going to knock off a superior Pac-12 opponent this year, week two would be it. That so be it. so we'll sure. see. Sure. Okay. Well, yeah. To uh, to give Cal fans a, an idea of how bad their offensive is. Our offenses. I'm looking at the Phil Steele magazine, and again, we give him a lot of plugs because he's great at what he does. They've got two pictures: one of Evan Weaver, rightfully so, and their other picture is punter Stephen Coots. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I would have even put in another defensive guy, but they're like, uh, "Who do we have on offense? Uh, pff, nobody." All right, let's go with the punter. Yeah, so, and that's probably because um, they didn't have a picture of the equipment manager. So, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, offensively, just bad last year don't believe me watch the cheese it bowl and and watch oh. it with some pepto-bismol um <laughs> i think all tapes Cal- of that game should have been destroyed right exactly yeah so the i mean the cheese it bowlers cal fans commonly cried cheese it christ bowl <laughs> <laughs> um 106th or lower in five relevant offensive categories chase garbers like you talked about was not as steady as as uh cal coaches would have liked they lost Brandon McIlwain. They lost their best running back. Wide receivers are thin and flowery. And if that wasn't bad enough, they have the conference's weakest offensive line group. Their best stat was rush offense, and they lost two of their top three rushers, as you alluded to, Bip. Defensively, yeah, they've got a pretty good defense, uh, led by Josh Wilcox, their head coach. He's a defensive-minded guy. Um, that's why he was brought out to Berkeley, was to try and instill some, some defensive toughness on that team, and he's done that. Um, he's got the best group of linebackers and DBs in the Pac-12, rivaling top 20 in the country. They were 11th against the pass, 22nd in scoring defense, 4th in defensive yards per play, which means that they do a good job of limiting the, that explosiveness. And they bring back 78% of all defensive returning production. So where they need to clean up, though, they were pretty bad in the red zone, 118th in the country. So when you put up all those really good defensive numbers, but you can't stop teams once they get inside the 20, it's a little bit of a head-scratcher. Um, special teams are going to be a strength and probably going to be their best offensive weapon. Greg Thomas at place kicker Coots, who was a Ray guy semifinalist when he was at Louisiana and then kick returner Ashton Davis, uh, can be very dynamic and explosive. Josh Wilcox has, has really boosted, um, and I'm sorry, I keep calling him Josh. That's his brother, Justin Wilcox, um, has really boosted recruiting, but their schedule is pretty tough this year. You talked about, uh, having Washington in week two. They, they draw North Texas out of conference. They have to play at Ole Miss. So I see them going 3-9 and nine this year, 1-8 and eight in the Pac-12. Their only wins coming against UC Davis. I do have them beating the Mean Green because they're playing in Berkeley in Week 3. I think that if that game was later in the season, um, North Texas might have their number. But North Texas, outside of Mason Fine, um, you know, defensively and, and with Seth Luttrell kind of being a hot commodity about, uh, you know, coaching elsewhere. I wonder if that might be a little bit of a distraction. I don't see them winning out in the Grove against Ole Miss. 
And then their lone win in conference comes at home against Washington State off of a bye. But yeah, I have the Bears finishing at three and nine, one and eight in Pac-12 play. So, Bip, to recap, I've got um, in the North, I've got Washington at eleven and one, eight and one in conference. Oregon at nine and three, seven and two, finishing second. Stanford at third, eight and four, five and four in the Pac-12. Oregon State finishing fourth, seven and five, four and five in the Pac-12. Washington State with an identical seven and five, four and five record, but losing the head-to-head to the Beavers, they finished fifth. And then Cal coming in at sixth with the three and nine, one and eight mark in the Pac-12. And just a little asterisk to Cal, they could be a team to really rebound next year. I think that their schedule is tough this year. They play a lot of uh, really good teams either on the road or at bad timing. They're still a little bit young this year, but I think that uh, they could be set up for a, a bounce back year next year. And and a team to watch out for in 2020. Bip. So who do you have Pac-12 North 1 through 6 once again? I have Oregon uh, and Washington both finishing 10-2 and two overall, 7-2 and two in the conference, but I have Oregon taking the top spot after beating the Huskies this year. Uh, Washington number 2, Washington State 3 at 7-5 and five overall, 5-4 five and four in the conference. Stanford and Cal both going 5-7 uh, and seven overall, but Stanford finishing 5-4 and four in the conference going 4th. Cal finishing three and six in the conference, finishing fifth, and the Oregon State Beavers going four and eight overall, two and seven in the conference, finishing sixth. All right. So Pac-12 championship. Who do you have? Oregon or Utah? I have the Ducks narrowly beating out Utah um, in this one. But uh despite that, I still don't see any Pac-12 team making the playoff this year because I think that 10 wins is the uh, pinnacle that that team is well 11 with the uh, Pac-12 championship game being the pinnacle of uh, um, whoever comes out on top this year um, in that conference yeah and I agree with that statement that I don't think we're going to see a Pac-12 uh, representative in the college football playoff I have a 12 and or I have Washington finishing 12 and 1 with a win over USC in the Pac-12 championship so you and I have actually two completely different teams in our championship Uh, I just see Washington bettering USC. I think USC is going to be very happy to be back in that championship game, but they're going to run into a tough Washington defense and uh, Graham Harrell and that uh, what should be a high flying offense is going to be a little bit subdued. Washington's going to be better battle tested with uh, bigger wins against a good Oregon team against a good Utah team, even though I have USC beating Utah as well. Um, I just think it's going to be the Huskies over the Trojans in the Pac-12 championship. So superlatives, um, take us through who wins your offensive player of the year in the Pac-12. Bit. Offensive player of the year, I have Eno Benjamin from Arizona State. Led the conference in rushing uh, yards per game and touchdowns last year while averaging five and a half yards per carry. Also added 35 catches for over 250 yards and two touchdowns. Arizona State's going to have one of the better offensive lines in the conference this year, and the Sun Devils are going to need to rely on Benjamin even more heavily this year with a true freshman quarterback, I think he takes the nod for offensive player of the year. I couldn't agree more. And your first few sentences were exactly as mine. So leading rusher, most yards, most carries, most touchdowns. And here's an important stat, zero fumbles lost. In fact, he only put one ball on the ground last year, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, He's lightning when he gets the ball. He's got great leg drive, low center of gravity, and he could be made even better with a dynamic freshman quarterback, Jaden Daniels who is, is a versatile quarterback adding to that RPO offense. But yeah, I definitely have Benjamin as my offensive player of the year in the Pac-12. 
Switching over to the defensive side, I have Evan Weaver as my defensive player of the year, linebacker from Cal. Insane defensive stats a year ago, 159 tackles, which you mentioned, four and a half sacks, nine and a half tackles for loss, two interceptions, one which was a pick six against Washington, a win against Washington last year, six pass breakups, and he's going to have a solid cash returning around him, especially in the secondary, which should give him many opportunities for great stat lines yet again as they're going to cover things up in the back end that's going to allow him to roam free and either take a scrambling quarterback or a dump down to a receiver or a, a tight end. I think we're going to see another big year out of Weaver this year. So he's my defensive player of the year, Bip. I thought long and hard about him and my eventual defense player of the year, Colin Schooler. And the reason why I went with Schooler over Weaver was mainly because of his, the production that he that he had in the, in the opposing backfield. So 119 tackles, three and a half sacks, 21 and a half tackles for loss last year. Also added four passes, broken up two picks. Only a junior this year could get even better. I'm excited to see uh, the production coming from him in that Wildcat defense. Okay, so who gets coach of the year for you in the Pac-12? This one's kind of a default for me. I don't love uh, Mario Cristobal. I like the team better than I like him, but I think he gets it because if Oregon wins the Pac-12 this year, I don't think there's anyone else uh, that should have it. Um, And I don't really have any major surprises. Most of my surprises in the Pac-12 are on the negative aspect and not the positive. So uh, Cristobal gets it by default for me. Yeah, definitely. If they win the Pac-12, even if they make the Pac-12 championship, I think that he's certainly a strong candidate for Coach of the Year. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stay in the state of Oregon, but I'm going to go to Corvallis, and I'm going to give it to Jonathan Smith. Mm -hmm. We talked about the Beavers are kind of an upstart. I think that they're the surprise of the Pac-12 this year winning seven games, possibly eight if they can steal one more. I just think that he should bring the Be- the Beavers um, their first winning season since 2013 and could quite possibly start a turnaround for Beaver football akin to the Mike Riley days, which is something that OSU fans I know are clamoring for. And Jonathan Smith, you know, the the, the hometown boy, the, the, the uh, you know, love, beloved son from the Dennis Erickson days in the late 90s. I think that he gets it done for OSU, and he's my Pac-12 coach of the year this year. Okay. Now, on the assistant side, I'm going to go a little bit off the chart here, and I'm going to have co-assistant coach of the year. I'm going to go Jimmy Lake, defensive coordinator for Washington, and Graham Harrell, offensive coordinator for USC, two guys who are going to match up in that Pac-12 championship, in my opinion. Both will be the reasons for their team's entry into that championship game against one another which will then go to Lakes Huskies defense, according to my projections. I know they lose a lot on that side of the ball, so I'm really counting that he just reloads, Jimmy Lake that is, and turns out yet another solid defense, which is why I give him the honor here. And I'm going to co-team it with Graham Harrell just because I think that he saves Clay Helton's job. I think that he turns USC into the most prolific offense in the Pac-12 this year, maybe a top 10 in terms of total offense in the country. I just like what he does, and I think that he's certainly got the weapons at quarterback and at receiver and even at running back uh, to get that done, even with a, uh, a somewhat suspect offensive line. So I'm going to go co-assistant coaches Jimmy Lake for Washington, Graham Harrell for USC. Yep, and I like that, Chappie. Um I also have Graham Harrell. I was going to, or I was thinking about Jimmy Lake as well, but I think that he's kind of the falls in that been there, done that. Um, But certainly if Washington makes the Pac-12 championship game, it will be in large part because of him due to the fact that they lost so much from last year. Graham Harrell, though, he's going to help try to turn around a Trojans offense that finished ninth in the Pac-12 in scoring. And I think that he works with the talent that JT Daniels have 
has and those three all-conference receivers. And I think that the uh, Trojan offense is a stark difference from what it was last year. Um, and despite them, in my opinion, only going seven and five, I still think that he does enough as I think that defense is what keeps them back. Certainly not the offense. Okay. And what about uh, freshman of the year in the Pac-12? Who do you have? I'm going to go and I'm going to kind of stretch it a little bit. Uh, and I'm going to go with Kyler Gordon from Washington. Now, he played in four games last year, but qualified for a redshirt. So technically, sure. he's still a freshman. Lots of positive right. buzz surrounding um, uh, Gordon at the cornerback position. He's has plenty of opportunity this year with the exodus of defensive talent that left the Huskies. I see big things from Gordon this year and under the tutelage of Jimmy Lake, who all he does is turn out first and second round picks and productive college defensive backs. I think Kyler Gordon's the next in line. Yeah, I certainly see him uh, having big contributions this year. I don't know if I would put him as freshman of the year. I'm going to go with defensive end Drake Jackson from USC. Slated to be a starter as a true freshman. He enrolled in the spring. He stands 6'4", 276 pounds. But he looks even bigger than that. Just a man out there who I think will see a lot of good things from the outside. And playing across from Christian Rector at the other defensive end. And with Jay Tufeli and Marlon Tuipilotu. On the inside, I think it's going to set up for him to have a pretty big year and two pretty good linebackers behind him as well, who we already touched on. So I'm going to go with Drake Jackson from USC. But So uh, after what seemed like a long, crawling offseason, uh, we finally made it. Bip and I yeah. have given you our thoughts, our picks, and we tried to do it politically without acting like, well, jerks. Uh <laughs> We, but we promise you, the fun is only just getting started. Bip and I will be here throughout the season, giving you our weekly picks of the week, as well as mo as post-weekend follow-up on what we saw and what we can expect to see coming. So if you want to be more informed than the other guys, continue to follow us here on A Bowl Full of Chips. And if you haven't already subscribed to us, please do so. Hit the right buttons and get your chips so much easier, so much faster. Again, follow us on Twitter. I'm at champion underscore lit. And he is BFC, or I'm sorry, at BFC Bip. Remember that it all kicks off this Saturday, August 24th. So stay tuned this coming week for our projections of week zero and then the reactions of those games afterward. And as always, keep spreading the good word, the good news, and with a bowl full of chips, you can't lose. Triple zeros for tonight, but come back again where we promise to do college football right. Adios, bromigos. Right. Bye.